Well, welcome, guys. It's good to see you this weekend at Grace. Welcome, everybody watching on the internet who were just too depressed to get out of bed this morning. <clears throat> Don't blame you a little bit. Uh, but welcome to this beautiful day in Northeast Ohio, and it's great to connect. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I've never met you, I'd love to. And uh, we're talking about this idea of what we do. And for those of us who are Christ followers, uh, we're talking specifically of what happens when, when I ask Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin and I place my life under his authority and direction. The Bible says that transformations happen in my heart and in my mind. I view the world, approach the world differently. And things that Jesus did and modeled for us become the things that we do. They aren't radical. They're not crazy. They're, they're not kind of extreme. They're just kind of normal approaches of how we would connect with life because we're doing for others what was done for us. And so we talked about this a lot last weekend and even the weekend before. That's all out on the web if you want to see it. Uh, and get caught up a little bit. But we talked about this idea that we, as Christ followers, become ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Whatever situation we're in, whatever relationship we're connected to, uh, the people that are there should be experiencing Jesus through us, as if He Himself were making His appeal through us. We are ministers of reconciliation. We help to, to alleviate spiritual the, the spiritual blindness that the God of this present age brings into people's lives. So it's just what we do, right? We just love folks, and we are always ready to share the reason for the hope that's within us, and we care about their souls, and it's that natural outcome. Uh, for those of us who aren't followers of Jesus yet, uh, we said for this series, what <clears throat> what's happening is we're kind of defining that for you, so you kind of know what you're signing up for. And then it also just explains why Christians are weird. We do weird stuff. Let's just be honest about it. We say weird stuff. And, and why do we do that? Why are we motiva motivated those ways? Why do we always care about your soul and your eternity and stuff like that? Well, this explains it all uh, because we're really mimicking what we believe Jesus did for us. And so we want to love as we've been loved and do what we've done and what he did. And we want to act like, think like, and be motivated like, like Jesus. Uh, so this weekend, I want to kind of take a step forward in the con uh, conversation, and I want to talk about what we see as a Christ follower. How do I see the world, and how do I kind of translate the world around me? And then what do I do to engage that? <clears throat> how would that affect me? And how would I, in these relationships at this place and time, how would I be Jesus in that moment to the, to the people around me? And then again, if you're not a Christ follower yet, this will, <clears throat> this will help you understand that more. And I bet you if you're not a Christ follower yet, one of the things you're going to see real quick is that Christians struggle with the same things that, that people who aren't Christians yet struggle with. We have the same sets of weaknesses. So some of the perspectives that Jesus wants us to have, we struggle with having and, and get caught in some of the same things that you do too. The big difference for us is that we would spiritualize that. And we would say, this is something we, the word's convicted. We'd feel convicted or motivated to do that because we believe Jesus would, would want us to. So you'll see kind of our commonality in this a little bit, okay? So I want to take you kind of as a foundation to a passage in Matthew chapter 9. If you got your Bibles, you can grab them and go there. If you don't have a Bible, there's somewhere in the chairs. It's page 681 in those Bibles. And if you've been around Grace for a while, this will be familiar to you because this is a a fundamental passage at Grace Church, and I believe also in, in Christianity, where we would look and say, these things are important, so much so that we return to it quite a bit. 
And let me just show you this, verse 35 of chapter 9 of Matthew. What Jesus is doing here is he's starting to teach his disciples how to reach out to other people, how to be ambassadors, how to be light in darkness, those kind of things. And so he's modeling this, and he does this in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So Jesus is modeling. He, he goes out and about. He goes to people who don't know him. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom. He would look at his followers, and then he would say, you guys do that. Now, you're the ambassadors, the ministers of reconciliation, salt and light. You do that like I have done that. Just let me show you how I did it. He healed every disease and sickness, so he cared about people at their point of need. He would say to his followers, same thing. You know, if you offer somebody a cup of cool water in my hand, what have you done for the least of these? I want you to engage people at their point of need, so I'm going to model for it so that you can do it. And then what he does, and this is what I want to key in on, he shows us his perspective, his outlook, and he would want us to have that as well. He says this in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Those crowds are, that, that idea is a fascinating idea. So when Jesus looked at the people around him, he had compassion on them. And in those crowds were all types of people, right? So you had people that were in those crowds who just wanted something from Jesus. They're like, if you could make me healthy and wealthy and maybe get my hair to grow back, that's what I, that's what I want from you. Just do a miracle in my life. And then in those crowds, there's a whole bunch of people who were passive about Jesus. Uh, maybe I believe that there's a God or a bunch of gods, but I don't think you're the son of God and you're not the source of salvation. That would be a reach for me, right? So I'm just kind of curious, a whole bunch of people who are passive. And then in those crowds were people who were aggressive toward Jesus. They're the ones trying to trick him and undermine him. Eventually, they're calling for his crucifixion. And all those people are in that crowd from the, I want something to the passive to the aggressive. And when Jesus saw the, the scope of those people, all of them, he looked at them with compassion, not with contempt. It's important. So he didn't look at them and say, you guys are my political enemies, or you guys are just trying to use me, or you don't really care, or you're out to get me. And so I'm going to, you know, you guys want something, I'm not giving it to you. You guys are just passive. You'll find out one day. You guys are my enemies. I'm going to sentence you to Michigan forever. Like I'm, it, it, when He saw them not with contempt, but with compassion. And his heart went out to them <clears throat> because he said they were harassed and helpless. He saw people trapped in their sin is a way that the Bible would describe it. People, a couple metaphors the Bible uses, people caught in darkness, in spiritual death, and he had compassion on them. Regardless of their motivation, he saw their spiritual need, and he, he sees that in their life, and it causes compassion in his heart because he realizes they are like sheep without a shepherd. They're running around chasing something, 
right? I don't know what to do, but somebody told me to get rich and that'd make me happy. Somebody told me to have sex and that would make me happy. Somebody told me to become important and that would make me happy. So I'm just chasing something all the time. Literally like sheep that have been let out who are running around aimlessly because they have no shepherd. Never with content, never with disgust, never even with frustration. It was never surprising to Jesus that sinners sin. Never surprising that people who don't know who he, who he was or is would be passive about him. Not even surprising to Jesus that people would hate his guts because godless people would do that. But he had compassion on them all the way around. And then, this is what's fascinating, he looks to his disciples and he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus looks at these crowds, he has compassion on them, ready? And his compassionate response to the crowds was his disciples. My response is my people. <clears throat> you go to them. Today we would say the church. My, my compassionate response is to send my church into the lives of these people, into these harvest fields. God didn't give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. That's why we don't go to heaven the minute we ask the forgiveness for our sins, because we're left here as the presence of God on the planet, as his ambassadors, as salt, as light, as ones who are able to express the reason for the hope that's within us. So Jesus sees this spectrum of people, people who want something, people who just don't know, and then people who are his enemies. And his response is compassion, and his directive is to his church, you go and you go into that field and you tell them the reason for the hope that's within you. You help them to understand that they've been blinded by the God of this age. You bring light to darkness. Just do the things that I did so that we may win some. Because I wish that none of them would perish, but all would come to repentance, right? And I want my followers to do that. It's just what you guys do. It's what we do. And it's Jesus' response to a lost and dying world. Now, what does that look like? <clears throat> right? So this is our conversation. You know, we, we've been talking about kind of those directives and, and all that we talked about the last couple of weeks. But this week, what does it look like? If I'm a compassionate Christ follower who is headed to the harvest field, what are the things that I'm going to see as a Christ follower that maybe I haven't seen before, or maybe just as a human being, I generally have trouble seeing? What am I going to work at? What am I going to value? What am I going to care about? If I want to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world, what are the things that, that are going to kind of jump out to me? And then what am I going to do about it? How am I motivated differently? If Jesus saw what I was seeing, he was me in this circumstance, what would he do about it? So I want to take us through the scripture here a little bit. And what I did was I, I just, I picked out some of the big 30,000 foot view stuff, all right? So, because we could sit here for months and, and talk about seeing the world through Jesus's eyes. So, of course, for the sake of time on a weekend, I, I just kind of have to cover it broadly. But I, I went and I grabbed some of the major themes from scripture, the stuff that's kind of from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible and woven all through it. 
And I want to show you this, and you'll get it. You'll see what I'm talking about. That as a Christ follower, I look at the world differently, and I act differently because of what Christ has done for me and because Christ is in me. And it's just what I do. It's not really radical. It's not really crazy. It's not because I'm this amazing person. It's a natural response to what Christ has done for me, okay? So let me show you this a little bit. What are some of the things that we would see? As an example, one of the things that as a compassionate follower of Christ, I would see is economic inequality. I would see that, right? And the Bible would address this a lot. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he's teaching the church how to follow Jesus, he raises this issue several times. So one of the places he raises it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this. He's talking about economic inequality. And he says this. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathers much did not have too much, and the one who gathers little did not have too little. Paul says, the goal of what I want in the body of Christ, and even beyond that, is God wants economic equality. Now, let's just pause here for a second and define biblical economic equality, okay? So when the Bible talks about economic equality, it is not saying that everybody should have all the same stuff as everybody else does. That's communism or socialism, and that's not what the Bible's talking about. When the Bible talks about economic equality, what it's saying is this, that when I have something basic and a basic need in my life met, I should want that for someone else, right? So I ate today. I look and say, you have not eaten today. I would like you to eat today. I drank clean water today. I would like you to drink clean water today. I had basic medical care today. I would like you to have basic medical care today. I had a basic education. I can read and write. I would like you to have a basic education so you can read and write. I, I want for you the basic things that God has provided for me. It does not mean that we should all have the same size house and all drive the same car. And if I get a flat screen, everybody gets a flat screen. That, that's not what the Bible's talking about. But if I'm not hungry, if I'm looking at my children and saying, put the junk food back, we don't need the little Debbies in the house. We don't need more chips. There's no more soda. You need to get away from Fortnite and start doing something physical and get up and moving. When I look and say, my kids need to watch the junk food, there's so much food that they need to be careful that when I look at this kid whose belly is distended because they haven't eaten, I care about them having something basic to eat. See? When my kid goes to the pediatrician and they're getting their checkup, their yearly checkup, and they're getting their height and weights, I know their percentiles and all that kind of stuff that they get. When they're getting basic medical care, I look at this kid over here who's dying of worms and I care about that. 
when I believe for my kid that education is the key. Edu if you don't have an education, you got to work on your academics and graduate from high school and maybe go to college and learn a trade. You got to have an education. You're never going to get ahead in life. When I want that desperately for my own kid, I look at this kid and think they have that same basic need. The same thing that's true for my kid is true for this kid. Can I provide it? And Paul, is, he says, I'm not saying that I want you to be in need. I'm not asking you to take a vow of poverty. I'm not asking you to take food out of your kid's mouth and put it in that kid's mouth. I'm just saying equality. If you ate today, it'd be nice if they ate today. If they had basic medical care, it'd be nice if they had basic medical care if it can be provided. In fact, he goes on, he explains this more in the book of 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6. He's talking to his protege, and he says this, he says, teach those who are rich in the world. Raise your hand if you're rich, real quick. Just raise your hand if you're rich. Let me ask the question a different way. D who ate today? Raise your hand if you've eaten today, all right? Who has drink, drank clean water today? Uh, raise your hand. Who in here has a change of clothes? Just keep your hand high. Who has a roof over their head? Whose family owns a car? Who can read or write? Right, statistically, that makes you the wealthiest 1% of people on the planet. So let me ask the question again. Who in here is rich? Good. I just wanted to be sure I had the right audience for this conversation. Teach those who are rich in the world. That's us. If you're trying to lose weight, you're rich. Okay? You're not like most of the world. Teach those who are rich in the world. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. Paul says, I just want equality. You're over here trying to lose weight. You spend money on diet food and money on gym memberships. You're trying to do that. Over here, they're trying to survive another day. I don't want you to go without. In fact, I don't even want you to not enjoy what I've given you. But could we keep in mind, see, could we have it on our radar, equality? It's not that I don't want you not to eat, but if, if we skip Chipotle once a week, what could we do with our $8 for this kid that's starving to death? And the people of God, this is where it kicks in. If Jesus were in this situation, if he had more than enough, which we all just admitted that we do, what would he do about the people who have absolutely nothing? And Paul says what he would do is he would use his money to do good works. He would care. He would look at that kid and say, hey, listen, I want you to understand something. When you in desperation prayed to an invisible God, that invisible God is actually real. And that invisible God heard that prayer and put it on the hearts of his people who are his representation on the planet. And his people did what that God would do if he himself was here. They came and they alleviated this need for you because they recognize that they have so much. They're not guilt-ridden. They're just grateful that they can take a little bit and share it with you to help you know that that God hears you, that God loves you, that God 
God exists, and here's your food, and let me tell you the hope that's within me. See how that works? That's all that that is. And the people of God see those kind of things. And they engage those kind of things. And they care about those kind of things. Because that's what Christ would do. That's what he did. He would view it with compassion, not contempt, not with apathy. But he would engage that need in the world, illustrating his love and his hope that he wants to offer you. I want to feed your tummy and I want to feed your soul simultaneously. Not one or the other. Because God has blessed me and I want to make sure, if I can, that your needs are met, right? So that's an example of what a Christ follower would see. And that's an example of a response that we would have. That's normal. That's normal. It's just what we do. That to the Christ follower is as natural as getting up in the morning, right? Because it's just a natural overflow of what Christ has done for us and what we would do in his name. Another example, this is, again, it's a big theme in the Bible, okay, for a Christ follower, is a Christ follower, part of what they see is injustice, injustice. Big, big theme in the Bible. Uh, Probably the key verse for this in the Old Testament and the New, one that is kind of a, a cornerstone verse for all of Christianity and Christian thought, is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We would look and say, yeah, one of the things that the Bible is crystal clear about for those people who follow Christ is that we act justly. We love mercy. We're not merciful begrudgingly. We're eager to extend mercy. And we act in a just way. We see injustice, we care about injustice, and we would engage things that are unjust, okay? Now, how does this show up in our culture today? Because the word justice gets thrown around a bunch, and the Bible means it in some specific ways. So how would this show up in real time in our, in our culture today? When you think about people who lack justice, the way that we would think about this correctly with our vernacular North America is we would think about people who are powerless. Powerless people lack the ability to find and to obtain justice. So therefore, people with power exercise that power to bring justice to unjust situations. So when you think about the relationships that you find yourself in and that you're connected to, think about powerless people. Let me give you some example of this. An example of a powerless person would be someone who is fatherless. If you look at our urban communities, the stats would say in general, there's about a 60% fatherless rate in an urban community. When a child does not have a father, that is unjust. It's not fair to that kid. That child did not do anything to that dad. That child did not make him leave, make him not care, make him disconnect. So they are in an unjust situation. And when they are in an unjust situation, they are powerless in that situation. When there is a father in someone's life, 
They bring stability. They bring economic stability. They bring relational stability. They fill emotional voids and vacuums. They, they bring direction. They bring correction. They bring parameters. They bring a strength. They do things that can only happen through a relationship with a dad. And you pull that father out of that person's life and none of those things happen in their life and their life will go a direction that it wasn't created to go. And a person who's a Christ follower will see the injustice of that. And instead of looking at that person with a contempt, teenager attitude, look at the way they dress and look at the way they act. Kid, they, want, they go to school, and they study in school? Why do they, so, they behave like that? Instead of just viewing them with contempt, a Christ follower will see the injustice of that and say, if Jesus was relationally connected to this kid who was fatherless, what would Christ bring to bear in their life? I'll give you another example of this. A sex trafficking would be an example of this. Young women who are caught in sex trafficking, for whatever reason they're caught in it, they are in a powerless situation because for most of those young women, there is no family that is pursuing them as they're trapped. There's no family bugging the police department. There's no family reaching out for them. There's no family that hires a private investigator to find out where they are. There's no family that goes after them. If that happened in my family, I would go to war with you over it. But when you've been caught in the system most of your life, and you grow up in foster care and state homes, and then you're just dumped out, and you're looking for any kind of connection or any kind of hope or somebody decides to take advantage of you and no one is pursuing you or advocating for you or caring for you. It is unjust. It's not fair. The person is powerless. And a Christ father would look at a situation like that and say, I, I cannot sit idly by and just let that happen. I would do for them what my heavenly father would do for me. See? I would intervene. I would act justly. Uh, another way that this plays out is when someone is financially powerless. A Christ father would recognize that. It's just a fact that poor neighborhoods are more violent than suburban or rich neighborhoods. It's the way that it is. It's why everybody moves out of them if they can. It's a fact that that's the way that works. It's a fact that poor schools are not as good as suburban or rich schools. That's why everybody is trying to get their kids into the suburban or to the rich schools. It doesn't matter how dedicated the teachers are. When they don't have resources, when the kids are disbehaved because there's no family structure, there's no dad, and it's just the fact. It's just the fact that poor kids do not have the same justice under the law as rich kids do, just period. When my kid got, had to go to court for a traffic ticket he didn't deserve, he went to court with his dad. And I went in as an advocate. And his dad came with his bank account. And I came with my connections. I had three phone calls to lawyers before I ever walked into court. And somebody stood up for him, and somebody stood with him, and that was resolved. The court admitted that it was unfair, and we walked away. That is not going to happen for that poor kid. 
They're going to get ground up in the wheels of justice. It's not true that the justice system is blind. It's not true that it doesn't see color, that it doesn't see advocacy, that it doesn't just rank people through it. A Christ follower is going to see that. And say, right, that person, that family, that, that, that mom, they're at a different advantage, and I care about that. I see it as an opportunity to engage someone's life. I see it as an opportunity to proclaim what God is actually like, to do the things that Jesus would actually do. Another form of powerlessness is spiritual powerlessness. Because there is not equal access to the gospel. We were out in Philadelphia a few years ago. Some friends and us went out to help another friend who has a church there. And we were running a Bible camp. And as we're running a Bible camp, our friends are sitting down. They're talking about Jesus. And a kid looks and says, who's Jesus? Ten-year-old kid, who's Jesus? In America? Yeah, in America. Why would he know? It's a violent, poor neighborhood. There's, they, they can't support a church. Why would there be a church there? They're not hearing that conversation at home. They're not going to find it on television. It's not going to be on the internet. They're not going to hear it in music. Why would they know who Jesus is? And then we would look at them and say, why don't you, it's common sense. Act that. No, it's not. Who would have taught them that? It's people all over the world, billions of people. They're raised in Hindu countries or Buddhist countries or Muslim countries. They don't know the name of Christ. They have no idea who you're talking about. They, they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter. They're not of a Judeo-Christian ethic or cultural background. There's no church. They have no concept of what that is. What makes sense to them is what they've been raised in. That, that's why what they do and how they live and how their culture is structured, it, we might look and say, well, it's backwards or it's old-fashioned. To them, it would be what they were raised in and taught. There's no witness of Christ. How will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? See, they're powerless. A Christ follower would look and say, I know what God says to do, what He requires of me. I actually know what he, how He tells me to live. And I want, on a spiritual level, I want to act justly. I, I want to affect that powerlessness. I want to bring to bear the heart and the mind of Christ. I see it as an opportunity to love. I see it as an opportunity to give the reason for the hope that's within me. I see it as an opportunity to lift the blindness of the God of this age, to be like Jesus. It's what he would do if he was in the situation in the relationship that I was in. See? And I would see the world that way. Another big way that, that Paul tells us to play this out is by seeing others' burdens. Seeing others' burdens. He says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He's talking about carrying each other's burdens as the church and then beyond the church as well. That we carry each other's burdens, and when we do so, we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. This word burden is a very interesting word. Remember, the, the, the English Bible is translated from Greek. So sometimes if you push it back into the original language, you get some richness out of it. And this is one of those circumstances. The Greek word for burdens is the word baros, and what it means is crushing weight. 
carry each other's crushing weight. And in this way, you love each other. You fulfill the law of Christ. It's the idea that I'm trapped under something. It's a weight I, I cannot lift it on my own. I literally do not have the ability to do that. But if someone else came along or a group of people came along and we all got under that weight together, we could lift that crushing weight. We could save that life. Paul says a compassionate Christ follower sees the crushing weight of other people and does not sit idly by and just let that weight crush them. Sometimes that crushing weight is economic. It's the crushing weight of I can't get the gas turned back on. I can't get the electric turned back on. I don't have the money to send my kid to the school. I need the food. Sometimes it's that kind of a crushing weight. Other times that crushing weight plays out differently. It can be the crushing weight of health. Uh, the doctors that I've taken trips with down to Haiti and to where we go in Mexico, there's a dump that we work there where kids live in the dump and also in Chad, Africa. They've said to me multiple times, they said 90% of the problems that we could see would go away if these people had a multivitamin. There is no protein to eat. There aren't fruits and vegetables to get a hold of. I'm eating people's trash. See? And if they had some version of a balanced meal, it would take most of the health problems away. We, we do this in Chad, Africa a lot. We do this a lot with, with, with uh, prenatal care. There is no prenatal care. And there is no afterbirth care. And so when you, when you go in and teach basic prenatal care, basic afterbirth care. Mortality rates of the people that we're working with, the villages we're working with, are actually going up because they're just approaching how they deal with their infants better. Because when your baby's thirsty, you give your baby water. Well, that water is full of whatever. And now as I get those germs and those things in my child, now they get the intestinal issues. Now they can't get weight because they have chronic diarrhea. Now you've lost a kid. Basic stuff, see? And Paul would say, as a Christ follower, I would see that burden. I realize there, there's no way for that kid down in Mexico, there's no way for them to just like get their act together and go over and get some good food from the government because they're not supplying it either and just solve that problem. We have to lift that weight together. There's no way for that mom in Chad, Africa, just get clean water, quit using that gross water. When there's one well for the village and who knows what's in it. There's no way they can just dig another one or get a purification system. Just spend your money right and your problems will go away. That's never going to happen. We have to lift that weight together. Sometimes that crushing weight is biblical ignorance. I've had two conversations in the last six months with men that have really affected me. One of the men sat down with me and he said, Jeff, I, I hear you talking about being a godly husband. He said, I have no idea how to do that. There is not one marriage in my family that has survived. Not my dad and mom, not my grandparents on either side, no aunts and uncles. I don't have one marriage in my family that I can look at and say I should be like that person. I don't know how to be a good husband. That's the crushing weight of biblical ignorance. Just, just tough it out, stick it out, men don't leave. That doesn't make any sense to him. Another conversation with a man 
and he talked to me about that, about being a dad. I have no dad. There's no male figure in my life. My dad's out. His dad left him. No uncles, no cousins, nobody. I don't know a dad. I don't know a home in my family that the dad lives in the home with the kids. I don't know one. Scares me to death the idea of being a dad. I have no concept of it. I've never seen it. It's a crushing weight of biblical ignorance. How, I don't even know. You, you tell me like a, a dad loves, a dad stays, a dad... Ha- I don't even know what you mean. See? And Paul says when a, when a Christian sees that, we don't try to keep our kids away from it and don't meddle with it. And I don't have time because I got to go to Bible study. We, we go and we, we bear that burden because that's what Christ would do. We are all biblically ignorant until Christ intervened, see. And Jesus would say, that's normal. As, you're, as you head toward these people, not away from them, this isn't something that you, you, you do for two weeks on a short-term missions trip and then check out. This is the way you see the world and you interact with it on a regular basis. The last thing that Jesus says to see is the most important thing. He says this, compassionate Christ followers see the harvest field. They see the harvest field. And and they don't just see it. I want you to go to it. You are my response to the needs of the world. Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. When Christ followers see the needs of the world, we don't hide from it. We don't create our own Christian sanitized versions of it so that yucky people don't get around us. We don't ignore it. We don't approach our money, our time, our our relationships by hoarding them. We invest all of those things for the kingdom so that by all means we may reach some for Christ, we view that as an opportunity. We don't view the harvest with contempt. We view the harvest with compassion, and we go to the harvest. We don't live really good lives and, you know, try to, try to live really morally so that if the harvest sees us, they might come and ask us. We go to the harvest. We invest in the harvest. We see the need. And with passion and compelled by the love of Christ, we engage it. Now, what what I want to be sure of in this conversation is this. I don't want to guilt trip you. I don't want to guilt trip you because that, that's no fair either. And, and if you're like me, this is what happens. This is where if you're not a Christ follower, you'll, you'll see we have the same struggles, right? This is what happens. I don't necessarily always ignore the needs of the world. My biggest struggle is I don't think about it because I am captured in my life. So whatever's in front of me is what I think about, and whatever my experiences are is how I interpret the world around me, okay? So, so this is what happens. Uh, this, this last Friday, you remember, remember the sun was out? The sun is that large spherical thing in the sky 
it starts in the east, it goes to the west. You'll recognize it when he's, but you'll see it in about two months again. But, but the sun was out. It was a beautiful day, and I needed the sun to be out, man. I needed some vitamin D. And so the sun was out. It's my day off, and I, I wanted to work in my yard because I have missed my yard this winter, and it has missed me, and we needed a little relational bonding, the two of us. And so me and the yard, we spent the day together, and I had a blast working in the yard. It's my favorite thing to do. It's relaxing to me. So I just had a blast working in the yard. So I worked in the yard all day, and then that, that evening we had some friends over that we wanted to, we hadn't hung out with for a while. So I was looking forward to our friends coming over. We grilled out because in Ohio, you can cook outside. <laughs> That's crazy. And so we grilled out. And so we, we did that and their kids were over and our kids are having fun and we're talking and enjoying each other. And then some of our older friend, older kids had some friends over and so they're hanging out playing games. And we just had this great, great day, right? And so it was fun, kind of from the beginning to the end. It was a great day, a relaxing day, a fun day, and an awesome day. And if you asked me that day, how, did, how was the world? If I was looking at the world that day, and you said, Jeff, how's the world today? I would have answered you from my perspective. So I would have spun the globe in my mind, and I would have found, you know, North America. And not just North America, I would have looked at Ohio, and not just Ohio, I would have looked at Wadsworth. Wadsworth? And so I would have looked at Wadsworth, where I live. And then not only just Wadsworth, I would have looked into my backyard. And through a very narrow pinhole, I would have looked at the world like this. And if you said, Jeff, how's the world? I would be like, yeah, the world is great. It's great. Oh, it's phenomenal, man. I mean, the grass is getting green, and I got my landscaping done. And it's great. And it, is the world at peace? Oh, yeah. Our friends came over and we had a blast. Are the needs of the world met? Oh, yeah. We had leftovers. We had leftovers. We had so much food. After we were gluttons, we had leftovers. And it, are the people, are the, are the youth of the world happy? The ones in my family room are. See, I don't know. There's some kind of war going on Fortnite. But other than that, because I'm like you, when I, when I interpret the world, I interpret my little pinpoint on it what's right in front of me. I had a great day Friday. It was awesome. I got sunburned. My back was sore. I had a great time with my friends. My kids were happy. My family's happy. Now, what I did, then I, I went to bed. I didn't go to bed until like midnight because our friends wouldn't leave. But... but I went to bed about midnight. I'm getting in the bed. I go to set the alarm for the next morning. I thought, ah, oh, just look at the news real quick. Hit the app on my phone. I didn't even know we were bombing people in Syria. Hey. I didn't know that as I'm like hanging out that people are getting blown up. I wasn't thinking about kids that were getting gassed. I wasn't thinking about missiles leaving ships and airplanes. I, it didn't even cross my mind, see. 
And no matter how you interpret it, I, I look at that, and I look at those gas attacks, and I look at the military response, and I probably look and say, you know what, we probably had to do what we had to do, because you just, you can't have gas attacks, and so probably made the right decision, but that decision killed people, and one of those people was probably some guy that works for that dictator who has to be in that plant, because if he doesn't do what he said, his family gets destroyed, and he's there doing what he doesn't want to do, minding his own business, loving the people that he loves, and he got blown up. And God loves my backyard. He loves me. He even gives me all things for my enjoyment. He's even happy that I had a great day. And he loves that guy too, who doesn't want to be in that regime any more than you or I did. And what God says is, guys, my people, my people are not just stuck in their backyard. What they do on purpose is they step back and they see the world. The, the economic inequality. It, it's, not, it's great that you got the grill out, but that kid is starving to death. The injustice. It's not fair that that guy who's stuck under a dictator got blown up and his kids will never see him again. See, it matters to God. And the burden of it all. God's people step back because God would say, this is how I think. I, I love the world. I love Northeast Ohio. I love Wadsworth. I love your backyard, Jeff, but I love the whole thing. And I gave my son to the world. I view things through the world's lenses, and I want my people to do that too. So my compassionate response to the needs of the world are my people, as if I myself was on the planet responding. You're my ambassadors. You're my ministers of reconciliation. You're the light of the world just like I am the light of the world. Well, Jeff, who's the world? The world is everybody, not me. The world is everybody, not me. It's, it's the, my family. It's my kid. It's my neighborhood. It's my town. It's my state. It's my country. It's the planet. God says, I love you deeply. I want to bless you. I, I think it's great. I, I want to give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's awesome. I, actually, you know what? I, I think it's great that you, food is not hard to get and medicine is not hard to get. I, I don't begrudge you. I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to think of people who are not you. What do I do for people who are not me? You go to them. And you bring them the same hope that I brought you. You give to them. Don't hoard my goodness. It's, it's great. But if you're trying to lose weight, that kid's dying. If you have to rent a locker to put your junk in it, they don't have a roof. You hate going to school. They, have, they don't have a shot in the world of reading and writing, let alone advancing economically. You got 15 Bibles laying around your house. They don't know the name of Jesus. I just want you to love people who are not you. And when you do that, 
You show them how I love them. See? And what I want for them. You are my response. Disciples, see what I just did? See what I see? Go to that harvest field. As if I myself were doing it. I love this quote by Stanley. I actually think it's important. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. There's certain things that we do together, right? Grace Church sent out a million and a half meals for famine relief last year through Feed My Starving Children. Raise the money through the Grace Race and your giving. We do that together. Heidi and I can't send out a million and a half meals, right? We can't do that. But we can put our money in the pot and we can do it. We can give our time and our money and we can help on those levels. Uh, we support Rahab. You do that through the seed project as well as your normal ties and offering. That's an outreach to people and sex trafficking. I can't solve the sex trafficking problem, but we can work on it. Many of you volunteer there. A bunch of you give there. It's awesome. So we do certain things collectively. But there's these people that are the one person. And I can't solve everything, but I can do something for them. I can't solve the fatherless ec- epidemic. I can't. But I can teach that one guy who doesn't know how to be a dad to be a dad. I know how to do that. Because you're the best dad in the world? No, but I had a dad. And mostly what I do when I'm a dad is do what he did for me. I copy him. I can help that guy that way. That guy that doesn't know how to be a, a husband... I can't solve everybody's marriage problems, but I can help that guy. Because you're the best husband in the world? Yep. (laughs) Because I've been married 25 years, and I deeply love my wife, and she deeply loves me, and we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great one. We know a few things. I know the Bible. I probably tell them what not to do. See? Can you solve the education gap? Nope. But you can tutor that kid. You can support that teacher who decided to stay in that district to try to do something. See, it works. But for the Christ follower, we would never sit and say, yeah, man, that's, that stinks. We would never be passive. We would never sit it out. We would never not care. Because we would look at the people that God brings into our lives and we would simply seek to love them the way that Christ would. And in doing that, we make Jesus make sense. We bring the help and the hope simultaneously. I want to feed your belly and I want to feed your soul. And Christ would look at his people and say, guys, that's just what we do. That's not a kick. It's not a program. It's not a special emphasis. That's just what my people do. You are my compassionate response to a harassed and helpless world. All right. Band's going to come out, and as they settle in, I just encourage you to chew on this a little bit. Maybe ask God 
Is, is there something I need to see that I'm not seeing? Is there something I need to see differently than what I'm seeing? Right? Ask them. It, maybe there's a hard part of your heart. Let's be honest. We can shut our hearts off to this. So maybe some of us are just a little callous. I bet you most of us, I'm this way too. I just enjoy in my own life. I got my own problems, right? So I need the Lord's motivation. I don't want to hoard the grace and the goodness of God. If you're looking for an opportunity to express love in these ways, this is what I, I bet you. If you're praying for your three, three people by name every day for the next five weeks that you can share the reason for the hope that's within you, I bet you if you ask God to show you, he will show you in one of those threes a way to express equality, justice, or bear a burden. So maybe ask the Lord to do kind of all that spiritual math for you. Give him a free reign in your heart and see where he leads you and what he may ask you to do, okay? All right, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us this way. Thanks, God, for doing this for us. We're not serving you out of guilt or obligation. It's gratitude, Lord. It's just simply loving our neighbor the way that we've been loved. And Lord, it's complicated. You don't call us to enable. You don't call us to relieve all consequences, but you call us to love with compassion. And so we need your wisdom. We need your discernment, Holy Spirit. So press deep into our hearts. Show us who and how you would have us to respond. And then in view of your mercy to us, empower us, embolden us, give us courage to offer ourselves to you. Do that work in us even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.